stars have once again aligned, and what an age-old cult had failed to do, a band of innocent authors has accomplished. After vigintillions of years, the flash fiction contest is loose again and ravening with delight. Each week, batches of stories will be released into gladiatorial pits to fight for supremacy. The floor will be churned to mud with the blood of the fallen until the mightiest stories remain for your delight and dread. The fourth incarnation of the Escape Artist's Flash Fiction Contest as led by Pseudopod is here. Submissions are closed and the carnage begins. Visit forum.escapeartists.net and come participate in voting for stories. They're published on a members-only section of the forum, so you must be a forum member to participate. It's easy to become a member. Drop by forum.escapeartists.net, register, and join us. And may the most horrific win. Podcastle, episode 388. For November 3, 2015. The One They Took Before by Kelly Sandoval. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. It's your friends here to tempt you with tales of longing. Well, let's get straight into the story. Podcastle is proud to present... The One They Took Before, by Kelly Sandoval. It was first published in Shimmer magazine, but it's also in the recent anthology The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy 2015, edited by Joe Hill, that Joe Hill, and John Joseph Adams, that JJA, which came out earlier this month. Kelly Sandoval's fiction has appeared in Asimov's Flash Fiction Online, Shimmer, and other venues. She lives in Seattle, where the weather is always happy to make staying in and writing seem like a good idea. Her family includes a patient husband, a demanding cat, and an extremely grumpy tortoise. Tortoises can be grumpy? You can find her online at kellysandovalfiction.com. The narrator is Elise Crowick. Elise has been involved in voice acting and narration since 2007. Since her initial foray into audio drama, beginning with Star Trek Excelsior, she's voiced roles for a variety of audio dramas. Misfits Audio, including Strange Stories, Five Minute Classics and Good Sam, 19 Nocturne Boulevard, Darker Projects, and several Star Trek audio dramas, including Star Trek Outpost, in which she plays the ongoing role of Dr. Rachel Winston. She's also narrated for Well Told Tales, The Drabblecast, The Dune Steef Audio Fiction Magazine, and Escape Pod. Elise lives in the New Orleans, Louisiana metropolitan area and is, in her day job, a legal secretary. Links are in the show notes. But now, that ache you feel, that longing, It'll pass. Sure it will. Well, pretty sure. 
In the meantime, maybe a story will distract you. Close your eyes, listen, and enjoy. The One They Took Before by Kelly Sandoval Craigslist, Saturday, July 23rd Found, Rift in the Fabric of the Universe, West Seattle Rift opened in my backyard, about six feet tall and one foot wide, appears to open onto a world of endless twilight and impossible beauty, makes a ringing noise like a thousand tiny bells. Call 206-612-9780 to identify. Kayla reads the listing twice, knowing the eager beating of her heart is ridiculous. One page back, someone claims they found a time machine. Someone else has apparently lost their kidneys. The Internet isn't real. That's what she likes about it. And if the post is real, the best thing she can do is pretend she never saw it. After all, she's doing better. She sees a therapist now. She's had a couple of interviews. She calls the number. Hello? It's a man's voice. Kayla can't identify his accent. Oh, hi. Her words come out timid and thin, almost a whisper. She stands and starts pacing the length of her apartment, stepping over dirty clothes and cat toys. I'm calling about your Craigslist ad. Oh? He sounds surprised, but not displeased. I'm glad to hear from you. So when did you lose it? Pardon? The rift. When did you lose it? Yesterday? A thousand years ago? Time was meaningless there. She's pretty sure it all happened a very long time ago. It's complicated she says. Well, can you describe it then? Tell me what color it is. I just need to be sure it's yours. It isn't hers. Have you had a lot of calls? A few crazies, he admits. Someone claiming to be my evil twin. That sort of thing. The cats, Avlock and Thomas, twist around her ankles. She leans down to stroke Avlock and presses her face into his fur. He hasn't spoken to her since they got out. Neither of them have. Have you tried going through it? No, it's not mine. He tries to sound firm, but she knows the longing in his voice. They open the door for him. It's only a matter of time. Listen, if this thing isn't yours... Don't go through it, she says, even if they ask you to. She hangs up before he can reply. The cats watch her, unblinking, gold eyes and silver. She tries not to imagine their voices. What? she asks them. I warned him. What else can I do? Avlock turns his back on her, tail lashing. Thomas rolls onto his back and lets her stroke his stomach. I'm not going back. She repeats the phrase over and over. Words have power. They taught her that. After a few hours pass, she tries the number again. No one answers. The Stranger 7-26-13 Fairy Queen at Cal Anderson I saw you in Cal Anderson Park by the tennis courts. 
You wore a dress of hummingbird feathers and a crown of tiny stars. I asked for a light. I should have asked for more. Coffee? For two days, Kayla avoids the Internet and every local newspaper. If they're hunting again, she doesn't want to know. On the third day, she dares to go out for coffee. A newspaper waits at the only open table, and she flips to the classifieds before she could stop herself. The ad draws her eye immediately. It's highlighted. She wonders if it was there before she sat down, if it will still be there when she leaves. Cal Anderson is only a few blocks away, and she's still weak enough to need to know. Kayla leaves her full cup on the table and heads outside, flinching as she enters the sunlight. Long weeks of gray skies and soft rain don't bother her, but these brief days of garish blue leave her longing for twilight. Shirtless men and girls in bikinis crowd the park, and Kayla tries not to see them. They remind her of someone she was, and she still longs to slip back into that skin. It's best not to think of it. Nostalgia for either life is poison. She keeps her head down and makes her way to the stand of trees that lines the tennis courts. No hummingbird feathers wait for her there. No tiny stars litter the grass. A group of teens jostles past, and one of them reaches up to pluck an apple from the branch above her head. The fruit in his hand is the deep red of exposed muscle. Looking up, she has to tell herself that apples, not hearts, hang heavy on the branches. They are huge and numerous, and out-of-season abundance. Also, it's not an apple tree. She runs home and sobs quietly until Avlach and Thomas climb into her lap and lick her tears with rough tongues. After that, her sobs aren't quiet at all. Seattle Times Online, 8-1-13. The Blotter. The King County Sheriff's Office is seeking the public's help in locating a Seattle-area woman. Josie Ahrens, 24, was last seen on July 30th at the Triple Door on 216 Union Street, where she was performing with her band The Sudden Sorrows. According to her friends, she was supposed to meet them at an after-party but never arrived. Witnesses report she was seen outside the venue with a woman described as having skin the color of a summer moon and eyes as deep as madness. Ms. Ahrens is 5 foot 9 inches, 150 pounds, with short blonde hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing black jeans and a green trench coat. She was carrying a gray messenger bag. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of either Ms. Ahrens or her companion is asked to call the sheriff's office at 206-302-9252. Kayla sits, her guitar in her lap, and strokes the smooth wood like it's one of the cats. When she first got back, she took a knife to the strings, sawing through them one by one. It didn't hurt at the time. It hurts now when she longs for the comfort of melody. But she knows better. If she plays, they will hear her. They will take her back. She is trying so hard. She goes to yoga class. She watches TV. She rocks in the dark of her apartment, the glow of the computer screen creating a sort of twilight. 
Is she loved, this girl that they have taken? Do they kiss her, their lips honey-sweet and dizzying as brandy? Does she realize she is theirs, that they will pet and praise and keep her, drape her in diamonds, and bask in her light, but never let her go? Until they do. Freedom is its own kind of prison. In Kayla's apartment, the computer glows, and it is nothing at all like twilight. She tries to tell herself the girl will be okay. They will keep her for a few eternities, but they will also set her free again. She can rebuild. Kayla is. She picks up the phone and dials the number for the sheriff's office. She tells them she knows about Josie. Wait a year and a day, she says. They won't keep her forever. Except, of course, they will. They kept her even longer than that. That's two, Kayla thinks. They'll claim one more. They like patterns, cycles, rules. She tells herself to ignore it. It isn't her problem. She can't save everyone. If she interferes, they'll find her. She tells herself she doesn't want that. She says it out loud. There's supposed to be power in that. Seattle Times, 8-3-13. Explanation sought after fatal hunting trip. The death of James Garcia, a Tacoma area accountant, has left police with more questions than answers. Mr. Garcia was hunting in Sylwyn Falls with his brothers Marcus and Eric when the fatal accident occurred. While the details are still unclear, the brothers said Mr. Garcia separated from his party early on the morning of the second at a blind he was accustomed to using, and where he intended to remain for most of the day. Sometime around noon, Mr. Garcia left his shelter and, for unknown reasons, removed all his clothing, including his orange safety vest, before approaching the blind his brothers were sharing. In the ensuing confusion, the brothers said they mistook him for, in the words of Marcus Garcia, a stag of shadow and dream, its antlers cast from sunlight. Eric Garcia admits to taking the fatal shot. Investigations are ongoing, police said. Kayla remembers the bright cry of horns, horses with hot breath and red eyes, stags with human screams, her keepers clad in spider silken frost, the mad need in their joy. She tries to think of the dead man. She thinks instead of trays piled high with venison, air spice-laden and thick with laughter. Hunger twists in her stomach, and she forgets to be ashamed. She makes herself a sandwich, ham and cheddar on white bread, but only manages a few bites. Everything tastes like beige. Thomas jumps into her arms, a furry mass of golden shadow, and purrs deep and low. The sound usually calms her, reminds her to settle and stay. She should sit down, stroke him, find center. I don't need them, she whispers into his fur. She tries turning on the TV, but every show is a meaningless mix of colors and noises. Avlock paces at the door, his cries high and bright as a hunting horn. Don't trust him, she tells herself. Don't trust any of their gifts. But he sings her heart, and she sets Thomas aside. Outside, the stars are hidden behind a thin wash of cloud. 
Kayla follows Avlach down major roads and through slender alleys lined with overflowing dumpsters. The route is circuitous and random, but she recognizes where he leads her. Cal Anderson Park. She's alone on a tree-lined sidewalk, looking for a shadow in a world of them. Avlach cries from above her. She looks up, finds him watching her from the branches, his eyes like silver coins. She reaches to stroke him, and her fingers close around a heavy fruit made russet by the night. It doesn't smell like an apple. It smells of blood and honey, of sex and song. The juice is silver, and she licks it from her fingers when she's done. Avlak lets her carry him home. Seattle Times, 8-4-13. Obituary. James Carlos Garcia, 43, was lost in a tragic accident on August 2nd. A man of courage, humor, and intelligence, he was an active member of his community and a dedicated husband and father. He leaves behind three children, Peter Garcia, Mary Winner, and James Jr. Garcia. He is also survived by his wife, Alice Garcia. He loved hunting, Bruce Springsteen's music, and his family. A celebration of his life will be held on 8-10-13 at 7.30 p.m. at the North Tacoma Community Hall. The funeral, Facebook tells her, is on the 6th. She sends flowers, the biggest bouquet the florist has. Money isn't an issue. They sent her back decked in gold and strange jewels. She waited weeks for it to fade or turn to leaves, but the gold, like the memories, refused to leave her. It means she doesn't have to work or leave her apartment or forget. An obvious trap, and she's been trying to fight it. Of course, she hasn't sent out a job application since she called about the rift, hasn't answered her phone, or emailed the people she tells herself are her friends. She doesn't intend to go. The one responsible is sure to be there. They love to watch. Even on the morning of the 6th, as she puts on a dress of black silk and gold lace, she imagines she will stay home. The dress was her favorite before. Now she can only see it as an echo of something grander. She has worn a cloak of dragonfly skin over a gown woven from the scent of roses. They set her at the feet of the queen, and when she played, they drank the notes from the air. It will not happen again, Kayla tells herself as she restrings her guitar, and maybe it won't, but she isn't sure anymore. She lets the cats out before she leaves. Avlak disappears with a confident stride, but Thomas presses himself against her legs, crying to be picked up and trying to follow her into the cab. If only you would ask me to stay, she whispers as she sets him back on the pavement. I might, but he doesn't ask. The cab pulls up at the church well after the service is scheduled to begin. She considers going in, makes it all the way to the door before deciding against it. The family already has one voyeur to their pain. She can at least save them a second one. She waits beside the door and tries to enjoy the feeling of the sun on her skin. She remembers longing for daylight, then screaming for daylight, then forgetting what daylight meant. It's a difficult thing to learn again. They are crying in there.
The words settle onto her skin like she's walked into mist. A cat's purr of a sound. Low, self-satisfied, demanding. Painting their faces with ash, it says, and tearing their clothes with sorrow. Its skin, Kayla sees, is more the color of an autumn moon than one from the summer, but its eyes are certainly deep as madness, and the iridescent feathers of its hummingbird gown shame her simple dress. She lowers her eyes, curtsies. The gesture is automatic, and she hates herself for it. What did he do? she asks. It's fear, not excitement, that sets her heart racing. She's glad to fear them again. Do? Its purr warms with amusement. He did nothing. He did not catch me bathing or cross my path to start a riddle game. He sat in his tent and did nothing at all. He bored me. Yes, that was a sort of crime. What use were humans if they refused to be fun? She stopped being fun near the end. She sat and rocked and sobbed and would not give them their music. They sent her home after that. She thought they freed her. But here she is, standing before one, her guitar at her side. You have not played, it says. We listen still, and you give us nothing. Are you still broken? Not like I was, she says, and realizes her mistake as it smiles. You were her favorite, it says, our lightning bard. You have a new one now, she says. She tries to keep her breathing even, but the scent of it makes her dizzy. Unless she's already broken. So unkind. We offer her wonders. It glances up, stares at the sun. Kayla wants to kiss its neck, drink eternity from its veins. She digs her nails into her palms. Did you offer her? A choice? Of a sort. She followed me. She didn't know what she followed you to. But Kayla does. Are you jealous? It asks, voice silken with amusement. You needn't be. We can still take you. And yes, she is, isn't she? She wants those first wondering months before she could see the rot beneath the guilt. She wants the luxury of not yet knowing what it means to love them. No, she forces the word out through clenched teeth. I have leave to barter, it says. We have no need for two musicians, and it would be novel. To win the same soul twice. The church door opens and the mourners begin to stream out. Kayla catches sight of a man's face, ugly with pain, and recognizes him as one of the dead man's brothers. It doesn't even glance his way. The man's loss is no more than a daytime rerun of a once amusing show. No, she whispers at this time, crossing her arms in a vain attempt at comfort. It wouldn't last. 
You could be our pretty one again, our summer storm. Its voice is thick and sweet. The world fades and reduces itself, the sun hiding, the mourners hushing their cries. Kayla's tears are hot on her face, and she's afraid to brush them away. She could say yes. She could tell herself she was being generous, playing the sacrifice. Did you take her just for that? To offer trade? Is it her fault, or does she only want to believe she means that much to them? I care little for your questions, pet. Will you come? This is the part where she says yes, and it drags her back to that land of endless twilight and impossible beauty. This is the part where she falls. No, she says. The third time she's rejected it. She stands straighter, meets its eyes. Her guitar case falls from limp fingers. If it makes a sound as it hits the steps, she doesn't hear it. Very well, it says, the purr gone from its voice. But we will be listening, and you will tire of mortality and dust. She is already tired of mortality and dust, tired, too, of being locked into the need of them. You can't keep me, she says. It leans in and kisses the salt from her lips. Its breath smells like storm clouds, all electric promise. Oh, pretty one, we already have. The world lurches, empties, and she's alone on the church steps. The mourners are leaving, a long procession of cars already disappearing down the street. She calls the cab back, rides home in silence. A year and a day, an eternity. One doesn't exclude the other. But they always send back what they take, shattered husks of what they once found beautiful. Kayla will wait, apply for jobs, mark the calendar. She'll be ready when the time comes. No one waited for her. No one understood. It can be different this time. She can help. And that can be a sort of winning Welcome back. Kelly had this to say about the story. I wrote the first draft during my second week at Clarion West, absolutely agonised over it. Neil Gaiman was teaching, so the whole class was a little stressed and trying to show off. My goal was to do something experimental, write a story completely in news clippings and bits and the like. Obviously I gave up on that, but it worked out all the same. Well, the story worked out, but I'm not sure things worked out for Kayla. Sounds like a metaphor for, well, anything you want to name, really. Alcohol, bad relationships, that thing you love that's destroying you. I think most of us come across something like that during our lives. What do we do with it? Well, that's the choice, isn't it? On to feedback now. Let's look at episode 378, our flash fiction extravaganza, Strange Destinies. This consisted of three stories, Yaga Dreams of Growing Up by Eileen Weedbrock, 
and read by Elizabeth Tennant. Mrs Stiltskin by Bonnie Jo Stufflebeam, who must have the best name ever, and read by Alasdair Stewart and Marguerite Kenner, and Marking Time by Stephanie Burgess, read by Kim Mintz. Generally, the forum folks liked the stories, but there wasn't really much discussion, as reflected in Devoted 135's comment, Where is everyone? Mrs Stiltskin was singled out as memorable. I always enjoy flash stories, and this one didn't disappoint. Mrs Stiltskin was particularly good, and a few weeks after listening is the one that stands out in my memory. But what about you? What did you think of these stories? Why don't you come over to forum.escapeartists.net and let us know. Well, that was this week's show. On behalf of everyone at Podcastle, including our tireless associate editors Melissa Horflich, Sarah Goldman, Khalida Muhammad Ali, Jennifer Albert and Arun Jiwa, thanks for stopping by and listening to the story. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is your host, Graham Dunlop, reminding you they always give back what they take. Eventually. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated that's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like, but don't change or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva and Exile. To find out more about them, check their website at shiva-in-exile.de W.B. Yeats in The Land of Heart's Desire said Fairies, come take me out of this dull world for I would ride with you upon the wind run on the top of the dishevelled tide and dance upon the mountains like a flame.